Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Monday, June 27th. What's What is the daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues surrounding the New York metropolitan area. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Christina Lulich. Coming up, we'll have some features from reporters, but let's get started now with the headlines. Today's the last day of campaigning for New York's gubernatorial candidates before tomorrow's primary election. There's two frontrunners right now, incumbent Governor Kathy Hochul's leading her two challengers by 20 points. But on the Republican side, the race is too close to call. Yeah, David, Congressman Lee Zeldin is the current frontrunner, but Andrew Giuliani is trailing by single digits, according to the latest NBC poll. He was an advisor for former President Trump. But all the candidates have one thing in common. Their campaigns have focused extensively on curbing crime and helping working-class New Yorkers. There's a bunch of other seats open for election, too, like the state assembly. Voting at the polls is tomorrow, and you can go to vote.nyc for more information about the election and polling sites. In New York City, there's some exciting news for commuters in the Bronx. Buses in the Bronx will now have fewer turns, which will make people's commutes a lot shorter. The bus lines will also extend further into Parkchester, Highbridge, West Farms, and Co-op City. But there's also a new piece of legislation that's aimed at protecting New York's transit workers. That's right. Hochul signed a new bill today that would call for stiffer penalties for people who assault MTA workers. It's in response to a number of recent attacks. Yeah, Christina, at least seven transit workers have been assaulted in the past month. The bill now makes assaulting any MTA worker a second-degree felony. This past weekend, millions of people attended the nation's largest pride parade in Manhattan. The streets were filled with colorful floats and confetti as people gathered to celebrate the LGBTQ plus community. But this year's celebration was also mixed with a weekend of protest. That's right, Christina. Protesters flooded the city streets all weekend in response to the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade last Friday. Some protesters fear that decision could affect LGBTQ rights down the road. Also, David, some parade goers felt the parade should return back to its roots meaning there should be more civil protests and marches, especially given the recent ruling of the nation's highest court. Abortion rights were also brought to attention at last night's BET Awards. Many presenters and award winners spoke out about the recent overturn of Roe v. Wade. But on the other hand, the show did feature a star-studded lineup of performers, including Lizzo, Chance the Rapper, and Diddy. There were also some notable award winners. Jasmine Sullivan won Best Female R&B or Pop Artist, with Kendrick Lamar winning Best Male Hip Hop Artist. Silk Sonic took home the award for Album of the Year. Will Smith's controversial slap at the Oscars also hasn't stopped him from winning awards. The actor added another major trophy for his performance in King Richard. That's the latest from the world of news and entertainment. But now let's hear about the latest from the world of sports with WFUV's Mike Calamari. So, Mike, it was a busy weekend in sports. Not one but two champions were crowned in the pros in college. That's right, Christina. Two teams became champions Sunday, but let's start in the pros and on the ice with the Colorado Avalanche, who took home the Stanley Cup, defeating the Tampa Bay Lightning by a score of 2-1 in Game 5, winning the series 4-2. Cal McCarr took home the Conn Smythe Award for this year's Stanley Cup playoffs. The defenseman scored 29 points in 20 games. This is the third time Colorado has lifted the Stanley Cup trophy and the first since 2001. Over in the NCAA, it was the final to the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. The Ole Miss Rebels took home their first men's College World Series title in the school's history. Ole Miss bested Oklahoma over two games in a three-game series, taking Game 1 10-3 and Game 2 4-2. So the college season is obviously wrapped up now, but there's still plenty of MLB action happening in the Bronx. 
What's the latest out of the Bronx and Queens? That's right, David. Both teams still hold the two best records in baseball, but let's start in the Bronx with the Yankees, who had a four-game series against Houston this weekend. After splitting the first two games of the series Thursday and Friday, the Bronx Bombers had a chance to win the series on Saturday and Sunday. However, on Saturday, the Yankees would go on to be no hit by a total of three Astro pitchers. Christian Javier pitched the first seven, followed by Hector Neris in the eighth, and Ryan Presley to close it out in the ninth. This is the 14th no-hitter in Astros history. However, the Yankees' search for a hit did not end on Saturday, and New York would start the final game of the series on Sunday without allowing a hit in the first six innings. This 16-no-hit stretch would tie the longest no-hit streak since 1961. However, a Giancarlo Stanton home run in the seventh would break the no-hitter and make it a 3-1 ball game. Then a two-run homer by DJ LeMahieu in the eighth would tie the ball game at three. The next run would not be scored until extra innings in the 10th, and it was Thursday night's hero once again walking it off. Aaron Judge blasted a three-run homer to win it for the Yankees and tie the series with the Astros. This is the Yankees' 10th walk-off win of the season and Judge's third of the year. The MVP frontrunner now has 28 home runs. Now over to the New York Mets, who are in Miami this weekend, taking on the Marlins in a three-game series. They would win the first two games Friday night and Saturday by a score of 5-3. to three. On Sunday, the Mets would fall to the Marlins 3-2, to two, but still come away with the series win. This is the Mets' 17th series win of the year. That's your sports update from the weekend with WFUV Sports. I'm Michael Calamari. Thanks, Mike. Great to talk some sports, but now we'll turn our attention back to some more controversial news. Now that Roe v. Wade is overturned, many have come to question civil rights as we know them. Now, some groups are working to help people get better access to abortion health care. NYCLU is New York's American Civil Liberties Union. They work to protect and expand civil liberties under a constitutional framework. I spoke to their assistant policy director, Catherine Bodie. We talked about some of the laws in New York and a new amendment lawmakers are trying to pass to help people seeking abortions in a post-Roe world. What does the overturn of Roe versus Wade mean for people across the country? States would be allowed to ban abortion, and we would see about half of states uh, pursuing that option. Hundreds of thousands of people uh, would need to travel to seek abortion care if they could even afford to do so. It will aggravate maternal mortality rates. It will force people to stay pregnant, and it will certainly cause a, a substantial amount of suffering Governor Kathy Hochul recently signed a new package of abortion law bills. But first, I'd like to talk about the 2019 Reproductive Health Act. And if you could explain that to me. So our abortion law lived in the criminal code as an exception to the crime of abortion. Uh, So you could actually go to the homicide code and find the crime of abortion in the first and second degree. So what the Reproductive Health Act did was it uh, took abortion out of the criminal code. Abortion is not a crime. And it rightfully put it um, into the public health law and clarified uh, when the provision of care is allowed and who may provide care. So then on June 13th, Hochul signed a package including six new bills into legislation. Could you explain the new laws? So um, New York uh, and a number of other states are have considered and, and passed um, some measures that are a really good first step in the conversation about how we can protect 
providers, how we can protect those who facilitate care, um, uh, helpers uh, such as um, abortion funds um, and logistical funds, those who support travel, as well as um, those who are seeking care. If um, another state went after an abortion provider who is providing care um, in New York, then uh, the state would have greater protections um, against participating in, for instance, extradition to another state or prosecution. So, Catherine, why would you say that these specific bills were needed at this time? We do want to remain responsive and nimble to the moment. It's important that people know that advocates were really pushing hard for two measures that remained on the table in Albany. The first is a reproductive freedom and equity funding program, uh, which is a funding bill that uh, creates a sustainable uh, program through the Department of Health. Uh, that actually attends to the real deep infrastructure needs um, it, that will be uh, certainly taxed um, as uh, people travel to New York to uh, get the care that they need. And then the second provision that was left on the table, and we are really pushing hard um, to call the legislature back uh, to get them to, uh, to pick up uh, what's called an extraordinary session, is a constitutional amendment called the Equality Amendment, uh, the Equality Act. Um, and what that proposal would do is add really broad uh, prohibition to our state constitution against discrimination on a number of different classes, including um, race and disability and LGBT status, as well as pregnancy and pregnancy outcome. That was my co-host Christina Lulich speaking with Catherine Bodie from NYCLU. Every Monday, the What's What podcast gives you the FUV Sports Spotlight. It's when we offer excerpts from One on One, the longest-running sports call-in show in New York. Today, WFUV's Ryan Gregware and Mike Calamari catch up with WFUV alum Jack Curry. They talked about Curry's illustrious career both at Fordham and as the Yankees' studio host. Are there, were there any memories or moments from your Fordham career that have stuck with you throughout the years? Well, when uh, Bobby, your advisor, mentor, great guy, reminded me that uh, it's graduation this weekend, of course, and we'd probably have to do a pretty long show for, for all those memories to stand out. But a lot of my memories revolve around exactly what you guys are doing right now. I loved Fordham and going to class and getting my degree and making sure I did well in all of my courses. But I loved being a part of WFUV and also writing for the RAM. And my greatest memories revolve around those experiences, made some great friends at Fordham, and the ability, I think, to feel as if you are a pro broadcaster or a professional journalist, even though technically you really weren't yet, you were still a college kid trying to find his way. That's what I think I took the most out of Fordham, is that by the time I was 19 or 20 years old, I said, I, I can do this. I'm going to be okay. I'm, I'm going to forge my path in this sports journalism career, and I'm going to find a way to, to make this my career. And I, I give Fordham all of the credit for that. And before we get into talking about this Yankees team, I want to ask more about your journey, starting as a columnist, then transitioning into TV. What was that process like? And what about being a writer helped you prepare to be on air? Another great question. I always considered myself a writer. From the time I was 13, I wanted to be a sports writer. Uh, I, I read newspapers voraciously. 
Uh, I followed sports writers and tried to emulate the styles of some of them that I really liked and ended up being fortunate enough that a year out of college, I got a job at the New York Times. And I mean, talk about a dream come true. And I, and I had to work my way up at the New York Times. I didn't walk through the door and they said, hey, why don't you cover the Yankees? I was only 23 at the time. So I had to cover high school sports, cover college sports, moved on to uh, the Nets beat for one year, and then finally got to cover the Yankees. And that's where I always wanted to be covering Major League Baseball. And honestly, guys, I thought I would work for the New York Times for my entire life. I thought I would stay there for 40 plus years, retire, and that would be a great career. Who wouldn't want to have that as a career? But the way the the business was changing and print journalism, in my mind, was becoming less of a focus and broadcast journalism was becoming a heavier focus. I always had friends who said to me, why don't you give broadcasting a try, including Michael Kay, another Fordham alum, who now is the great play-by-play voice at the S yes Network. He was always saying to me, why don't you give TV a try? And it finally got to a point in 2009 where I felt as if I had done all that I could do at the Times. Maybe it was time in your early 40s to try and make a transition. That was WFUV's Ryan Gregware and Mike Calamari with Jack Curry discussing his new book, Swing and a Hit, with Paul O'Neill. And that's our show for today. I'm Christina Lulich. And I'm David Escobar. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever podcasts are found.